Hi, welcome to One Chapel. We're a family of neighborhood churches in the Austin area. Our vision is to help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. It's a place to connect, grow, and serve the communities where we live. You can learn more about One Chapel and how to get involved at onechapel.com. And now, here's this week's message. All right, get your Bibles out if you would, please. Turn the book of Genesis. We have been doing a series around here that we're calling Work Life. And over the last couple of weeks, we have looked at God's plan for work, um, your personal calling in work. And last week, we looked at ethics in work. Today, I want to talk to you about your mission in work. And so look at this in Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Because it says this, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image. In our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image, God created them, male and female, he created them. Now notice how many times it says that we're created in the image of God. And I want you to think about this, because what does that mean to be made in the image of God? Well, we've got to kind of put this in context to how this was being written in that culture there. Because in the Middle East, in the ancient Middle East, what kings would do is that they would set up statues and place them then in the far corners of their kingdoms. And these statues were made in the image or the likeness of that king. In other words, they looked exactly like that king. And then those statues were then placed at the far corners then of the kingdom. So that the governors of those regions, who were then the representatives of the kings, could use those images to exert the king's will and to exert the king's laws in those far off regions, just as they were being done in the capital city. And so here in Genesis chapter 1, it's describing for us that we are described, humans are described that we are created in God's image, that we are his image bearers, we are his representatives in the far off corners of our planet earth. This is how he created us. And there are two parts to this. Number one, we reflect. We reflect. In other words, we mirror back to God. In the essence of who we are, we bear aspects of what God is like in our humanity. But as well, number two, we rule. The first thing God said in verse 26 was, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule. That word rule, in the original Hebrew language that this is written in, this is the word radah, which means to rule, to reign, to have dominion. It's kingly language. One, uh, one theologian, Hebrew scholar, he translates this way, to actively partner with God in taking the world somewhere. I love that. To actively partner with God in taking the world somewhere. And so as I talk about this here this morning and your mission, your call, your vocation, in your work, in your job, in your career. I want you to be thinking about your workplace. I want you to be thinking about your job. I want you to be thinking about where you're spending 40 to 60 to 80 hours a week investing your life to actively partner with God and taking the world somewhere. And so what does that mean? What does that mean to actively partner with God and taking the world somewhere? Well, from the beginning of the story, it's so important that you understand that God has been looking for partners. 
And notice here in chapter 1, the Genesis, that the image is not of puppets on a string and God up in heaven pulling those strings. That's not the picture of how God created us. The image is of partners, representatives. That the word that's actually used in, the, in theology is co-regents or co-kings, working with God, ruling over the earth. That's how you were created. And the reality is that God could have continued to make humans out of the dust just as he did with Adam. He could have done that. But instead he chose to work through humans and marriage and sex and family for the procreation of humanity. He could have done it just his way and without us at all. God could have chosen to feed humanity continually just as he did with the Israelites when they were wandering through the desert and he provided manna from heaven to feed them. He could have done that. He could have done that and that's how we would eat because he's the one who is doing everything. But instead, he chose to work through humans and the seasons of seed time and harvest. Why? Because right from the beginning, he's been looking for partners. Now look at this in Genesis 1 verse 28. And so God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. In theology, this verse, verse 28, is called the cultural or the creation mandate. And this is humans' first job description. God makes humans, he makes them in his image, and then he gives Adam and Eve a job description to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it, to rule it, or to put it another way, go and create culture. This is that, that, that cultural mandate, and this cultural mandate breaks down into two callings on humans. The first, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is the first part of God's call on, on humans' lives. In other words, make something of the social world. That's part of your calling. That's part of your purpose. Get married, have sex, have kids, build a family. But this also means more than that because even when you're single, this mandate still exists in your life. Because it's still talking about the social world, that you're supposed to create something out of the social world. In other, in other words, go make churches. Go make schools, make governments and institutions, make languages and ethnic groups. Make something out of people. This is part of your God-given job. Right from the beginning, this is part of your job description that God has given us. Do something with the social world around you. And then the second part is subdue and rule. Subdue and rule, which means to harness Nature. We talked about this a, a little bit a couple weeks ago. This idea is actually kind of to wrestle with it. And I just think here, here in Texas, we just, we have it so, to me, it's so vivid because nothing that you want to grow grows and everything you don't want to grow grows, right? Especially now when it's so dry, the only thing that's growing in my yard is not the grass, it's the weeds that are green. You know, and I, I'm out there every single week trying to spray for weeds. And it feels like these weeds have gotten a tolerance to everything I spray on them because they don't die. They just keep living. But the things I want to live, just they just keep dying just like this. And so it has this idea, you're wrestling 
with this natural world to make something beautiful. And so, so, the, so to harness the natural world, so that's the trees, the rocks, the rivers, the, the energy, the, the vitamins and the minerals, the beauty and the music, that you're harnessing this natural world and then you're actually making something out of this natural world to plant crops to build houses, to, to invent technology, design software, to, to compose music, to create art, to build bridges and cities, to actually make something of the natural world. This is your job. This is your job description, your purpose that God has put on your life as a human, as an image bearer of God. Your job is to make something out of this world. Look at this, case in point. Look at this in chapter 2 of Genesis, starting in verse 8. It says this, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed through Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx were also there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. And the name of the third river is Tigris, and it runs along the east side of Asher, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. Now, how many of you, when you get to points like this in Scripture and you're reading it, it's just like you look at it and you kind of go, your mind goes numb, and you kind of just skim through these things? Come on, you know, you, you can admit it. It's, it I, I think it's so, it's so often we kind of read through these things, we're just like, what in the world is this here? Why does it care? Why is, what, is, what does this matter at all? But here in this passage, this is really, really important because here the author is saying that the Garden of Eden is made up of raw materials. And he talks about trees and rivers. And in the ancient world, trees and rivers, they're your source of life. And he talks about gold and minerals and metals that are there in the ground. And the picture I want you to understand is that Eden, the Garden of Eden is raw. It's pure potentiality. And then look at what God says to Adam in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. A guy by the name of Tim Keller, he defines work this way. He says, work is rearranging the raw materials of a particular domain to draw out its potential for the flourishing of everyone. Now I want you to think about your work arena. Whether you're a computer analysis, whether you're an accountant, whether you're a doctor, whether you're a nurse, or whether you're a lawyer, whether you're in politics, whether you're building houses or setting up piers, whether you're a, a landscape architect, whether you're a barista, I want you to think about where you are, your work environment here, and your job, work, is to re, you're rearranging the, these, the, these raw material, materials in your domain so that it draws out the potential so that others around you flourish. This is the core of why you do what you do. Now, where does, where does Tim give this definition here? What's well, right here from this chapter here in Genesis chapter 2. As a matter of fact, the word work in the original Hebrew language that this is written in is the word abad. And the word abad means to cultivate, to develop, or to draw out its potential. And so here's the thing I, th- I want you to understand about all of this. Because when you think about the Garden of Eden, you need to understand that the garden was dynamic. It wasn't static. Or another way of saying is that creation was a project, not 
a product. You follow me here? Creation has this dynamic thing that was going. It wasn't all settled. It wasn't all done. This is, it's a product, not, not a project, which means the garden was designed to go somewhere. And so when you think of the Garden of Eden, don't think about it like a public park that's already been created and done, and God hands Adam and Eve a lawnmower and a pair of clippers and says, now go, maintain, keep, keep the thing beautiful. I made it for you. Now you keep it beautiful. You keep it trimmed. Don't think of the Garden of Eden like that. Think of it instead like this wild, unattained wilderness of hundreds of thousands of acres teeming with wildlife and beauty and minerals. And then God says, go, now make a world. Go and make a civil, civilization. Go and make roads and buildings and music and art. Go and take the raw materials and make something out of it. That's what's going on here. That's why at the end of the story, when you get to the end of your Bible, when you start looking at Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22, and you start reading about the, the future of the earth when Jesus comes back and when Jesus turns the world back to new and he makes everything right. In Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22, when John's writing about this, he describes how we'll live in what he describes as the new Jerusalem here on earth. And when he writes about this new Jerusalem in Revelation 21 and 22, he's using Eden language from Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. And how there's a tree of life running through the city, and how there's these rivers that are running through the city, and how there's no more curses. He's clearly saying we're back in Eden, but this time it's not a garden. This time it's a city. Now think about it. Why is that? I mean, if, if Jesus comes back to restore the world and put it all back together because it's broken, then why doesn't he take us back to the garden? Why does he bring us to a city? Well, here's the reason. It's really interesting here, everybody. Listen to this. Because the garden was never supposed to stay a garden. The garden was always supposed to become a garden-like city. But here's the problem. Here's what happened. Between Genesis chapter 1 and 2... And, and Revelation 21 and 22, there's a whole bunch of Bible, right? Genesis is the first, chapter, first book of the Bible. Revelation is the last chapter. And there's a whole bunch of Bible in between Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22. And what happens in Genesis chapter 3 is sin. Genesis chapter 3, sin happens. The fall happens. Adam and Eve sin and they make a mess of the world. If you were to take sin out of the story of the Bible, you'd just have a pamphlet. You'd have Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22, and we'd be done. That would be it. But sin changes everything. Sin screws everything up. And now we have a serious problem because the world's still wild. The, the world is in serious, in serious need of taming. It's chaotic. It, it needs order. It needs ruling. And whose job is it to rule? humans. It's not God's rule, role to rule. It's humans. God says, God says, you are my representatives. You are my ambassadors. You are my image bearers here on planet earth. You are the rulers here over earth. But now humans are a wreck. We're out of sync with God. And so as a result, instead of working the earth, instead of caring for the earth, now we're abusing the earth and we need to be saved. Which is why Jesus came. 
Jesus came to make the world new by making you and me new. Which is the reason why in the New Testament we're described as the new creation. One day Jesus is going to come and completely restore um, order to everything. The, the entire cosmos and he's going to make it new. But for now he's starting with you and me. He's creating this newness in you and me. And so Jesus came and did what Adam and Eve were supposed to do. He came and did what you and I are supposed to do, and that is to rule, which is why he's described as the Messiah. That world Messiah means the king or the king of the world. Now, jump forward in your Bibles to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 28, because I want you to follow this here, because we're going to get specific to your call, your mission. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, it says, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now, I want you to notice something here, because theologians point out the parallels between Genesis chapter 1, this cultural mandate where we are to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue it, and to rule. They make the parallel between this cultural mandate and here in, in, in Matthew chapter 28, which is the Great Commission, to go and make disciples of all nations. And theologians argue that what Jesus is doing is that in light of sin and in light of his death and his burial and his resurrection, that what Jesus is doing is that he's rephrasing the original cultural mandate. And now it sounds like go and make disciples of all nations, which means this, everybody, you and I, we have a dual vocation. Now, again, remember, vocation means calling. And so you and I have this dual vocation or calling. We have the original calling vocation from God, which is to create culture, to make technology, to do something in the social arena, to do something with the natural resources. That's the, that's the original mandate. That's the original call to make people, to, to, to make um, societies and schools and governments and to make that technology and science and, and medicine and art. This is all the calling that God has on every single one of our lives. But now you also have a second calling slash vocation from God, and that is to go and make disciples. In other words, to help people come back into a right relationship with the living God. This is part of your call and purpose because what Jesus does is that he starts to restore the image of God in you so that you can now reflect God, so that you can now actually bear what God is like in your humanity, so that you can actually rule here on earth. If you read to the end of your Bible, what you begin to see is that that's the position that you'll fully be in when Jesus restores everything, ruling and reigning here on earth and living in a way that actually reflects and mirrors who God is. My point is, is that this is a both and issue, everybody. It's a both and. The cultural mandate and the great commission. It's not one, it's both. But I think for so many people, I think a lot of us, what we end up doing in life is that we end up just picking one of them. And we kind of run that race just in that one and one lane. Some people become really passionate about their work and what they do and, and this whole idea of making something out of this world. And so they work a ton of hours. But when was the last time you actually shared Jesus with somebody? 
Or on the other hand, others have the opposite problem. You love to share the gospel with people, but you're a lousy employee. Hey, everybody, it doesn't work that way. Those things don't mesh here. If you're the dude in the cubicle and you're getting paid to design software, to manage accounts, and you're sitting in your, compu- in, in your cu- cubicle and you're reading your Bible, listen, Jesus is not into that. You know, get, get to work. Do what you're being called to do. Do what you're being paid to do. It's like Jesus is saying, put down your Bible and get to work. Do your job. And I do think that Jesus is a fan of the Bible, right? I mean, he's, he's the author of this, right? But the reality is that there's a time and a place for you to read your Bible and pray. And there's a time and a place for you to manage your accounts. That's why we need to take both of them seriously. Yes, win people to Jesus, but as well, what you're doing in your job, it matters. And I said this last week in, in, in our message here, that I think as followers of Jesus Christ, you need to be known as the best employees of your company. That's who God's called you to be. It's a both and. What you do matters. Your work matters. Creating culture matters. And some of you are thinking, well, well, Jesus isn't really into my job. No, he is into your job. If you're creating shalom, if you're creating peace and well-being and health and prosperity and safety for others, he's with you. But as well, he's with you in every one of those relationships who do not know who Jesus is. He's with you. And so how you work matters and how you carry the gospel of Jesus Christ, it matters. You have a dual vocation. Look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 5. This is how the Apostle Paul describes it. He says, after all of this, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose. And both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we are both God's workers and you are God's field. You are God's building. Now look at what Paul's doing here. Because he's describing, he's describing work and he's using this gardening imagery again. It's just all through the scripture, this, this gardening imagery. And he's talking about his job. So don't get, don't get distracted about his job because his job is church planting. And so he's talking about, in his context of how he works, in his job of church planting, but it rings true for every one of you who are not in that role of church planting. Whatever your job is, whatever career you're in, whether you're in accounting, whether you're a nurse, whether you're a doctor, you know, whether you own your own business, whatever it is, this, these principles still exist and are still true. And he's saying that your job, it's like gardening, and there's hard work, and there's toil, in other words, we still carry this role and this responsibility that God gave Adam and Eve in making this world into something. But then he drops this line at the end of, the, of, these, of this passage here in verse 9. And he says, for we are both God's workers. Now this is really important for all of us to understand. Because that word workers in the original Greek language that this is written in is the word co-workers. And in the Greek language here, he's not saying that Paul and Apollos are co-workers. He's actually saying that Paul and Apollos and God are co-workers. They're doing this together. 
You are a co-worker in your career. You're a co-worker in your company. You're a co-worker when you go out to work tomorrow with God. He, God is right there alongside of you. And I, I think I say this because I think so many as we get this backwards, we don't understand what's going on because I think so often we kind of see ourselves as employees of God, right? That we were working for God. Listen, you don't work for God, everybody. We're actually co-workers and we work alongside of God. Now, why is that important? Well, think about what's the difference between a partner and an employee. Think of that concept, difference between a partner and an employee. And I think the, there's one word that kind of describes the difference between a partner and an employee, and that word is ownership, right? When you're a partner, you have ownership. When you're an employee, you, you're, just working, you're just working that job. Think of it this way. So if, you, if you're working as a barista in a coffee shop, and there's a rush of 50 people who come into the shop at 8 o'clock in the morning. And you're an employee and you're working for a negative 50 cents an hour. And this rush comes into the coffee shop. How do you feel? You begin to feel overwhelmed. You're getting stressed. You know, it's, it's, it, this is hard. And so you're starting to grumble and you're starting to complain because you can't get, keep up with the customers and, and getting all those shots made. It, it's, it's, it's hard work. But think about it. If you're a partner and you're working that espresso machine and that crowd comes in, how are you feeling as a partner? Exactly. You're, you're on the top of the world. This is exciting. Look at all these people. They love my business. They love my product. We're being successful. And so you're feeling like you're on top of the world. Both are doing the same job. But one's just an employee who's being frustrated and aggravated. And the other one's feeling on top of the world. All because it's a difference of partner and employee. That's why, everybody, when you go to work tomorrow, you need to understand you're a partner with God. You're partnering with God when you're going to work tomorrow. You're not just an employee of your, co- of your company. You're a partner with God, and you're taking the world somewhere. You're actually coming alongside, and you're taking the world somewhere. You're not just a mom changing diapers and wiping dirty snot off of the kids' faces and getting paid for nothing. You're, a, you're actually a partner for God. You're fulfilling God's original call on humans by being fruitful and filling the earth and subduing it and, and ruling over God's creation. You're partnering with God. You're a modern-day Adam or Eve, and God is looking for partners. Because the world is still a garden. This is your vocation. This is your call. This is your mission. Rearranging those raw materials of your particular domain. The domain that God has put in in, right, right before you. You're rearranging those raw materials and you're drawing out its potential so that others around you can flourish. That's your mission. To actively partner with God in taking the world somewhere. We're going to take communion here together. But before we do that, I want to pray for you here. Because I think there's, there has to be this shift in us, right? Because it's just so easy just to kind of go through the motions of work and not see the big picture of why. It's just so easy just to kind of do this thing and go through the grind and well, you can get burnt out, you can get exhausted, and you're wondering, what difference am I making? And I think there has to be a shift that happens in our mindset of understanding why. Why has God placed you in that arena? Why has he placed you in that field? Why are you in that company? Why are you doing that job? 
He has you there as a partner in taking the world somewhere. And so, Father, I pray for every single one of us here today. Father, that you would begin to shift those things inside of us. Father, that's got this kind of out of order. Father, that you would begin to place inside of us just a, a newness of how we see life and how we see our jobs, our work, our careers. That, Father, that we would step in with you. That we would see ourselves as partners in what you're doing in the world. And these different arenas that you place this, whether it's in politics or whether it's in finances or accounting or medicine or, or, or constructing buildings or dealing with landscaping or whatever those arenas are, Father, I pray God, that you would give them just a release of your spirit of revelation to open their eyes to the purpose that we would understand actually your perspective of how you've called us and that we would step in as partners with you. Not just doing a job, not just being an employee, but actually partnering with you to take the world somewhere. And Lord, I pray for every person here that feels like what they're doing, their job doesn't matter. Father, would you open their eyes to a larger perspective? Father, I pray for every person here that has just become even workaholics and they're doing great at the work arena, but they've forgotten about the commission as well. They got the cultural mandate, but the commission is just missing here. Actually taking Jesus into their work arenas and helping people to have a right relationship with you. Father, would you just bring those two together, this cultural mandate with this great commission? Oh, would you just merge those? And for every person who's passionate about you and sharing you with others, but has disconnected that from their job, Father, would you connect that? Would you bring both of these, these dual vocations and callings together? That what we do matters, our job matters. And sharing the gospel, it matters. Father, would you bring those two together? We're going to take communion here together. And the Bible describes for us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks and said, this is my body broken for you. And, and think about what I just was talking about, that sin changed everything. <laughs> you know, Genesis chapter 3. It's the bulk of the Bible. We go from Genesis 1 and 2, what God intended and we got to wait to Revelation 21 and 22. And in between is the impact of sin in humanity and in God's intervention and plan to redeem us, to get us back into right relationship with Him. This, honestly, is why it's the good news. It's what we call the gospel, the good news. Jesus coming to set things straight. He's going to set the whole cosmos straight eventually, but He starts with you and me. And when we come and we say, yes, Jesus, then he begins to reorder. He begins to straighten that out and it starts, it's like a ripple effect that starts with you, that moves out to those that are affected by you and newness begins to come. That's the incredible beauty of having Jesus in your life. And maybe you've never really asked Jesus to come into your life. You know, maybe you've done church. You're sitting in a church, but sitting in a church doesn't make you a follower of Jesus any more than me sitting in my garage makes me a car. 
for every single one of us, there comes a moment where we make a decision and we say, yes, Jesus, I want you to be part of my life. Come, do something new inside of me. The Bible says that if we'll just confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and then believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that's when that newness starts, that salvation starts. And that word salvation is a holistic thing. God begins to work in your body, in your mind, your emotions, your spirit. New life starts coming. So when we take communion together, we're reaffirming that. Jesus says, I've given you my life. Will you give me your life? And when we take communion, we're saying, yes, I give you my life. And so I want to invite you to the table here. The worship team is going to lead us here in this. How we do it, we have, we have two stations set up here. And what we do is we should just start in the front row. And you're going to exit into the middle aisle and come then to your section. Just take a piece of bread and dip it into the juice. And just come back around. Just have this moment with God. And so we're just going to do this all here together. If you would stand up to your feet and let's worship God. Thanks for joining us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, you can learn about groups, teams, and more at onechapel.com slash welcome. You can subscribe to future messages from One Chapel on your favorite podcast player. And of course, you're always invited to services every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11.30 a.m. See you next time.